Lord, we stand in awe of your amazing grace. <laughs> Lord, that, that grace that has washed us clean. Lord, that we, are, we stand here cleansed, stand here before you holy and righteous, not on our own merit, but Lord, because we're clothed in your righteousness. Lord, and if all you ever did for us was to die for us and to take our sin away, Lord, that would be enough. But your desire is to continue to pour your grace out upon us. That it's your heart that we would come to know you more. That we would understand all that you have for us. And Lord, that's our desire tonight. That you would speak to us through your word. That we would learn what it is that you have for us. Each individually here tonight. We gather together as a group. A body of believers. But Lord, I know that your desire is to meet with us individually as well. So have your way here tonight, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Good evening. Please be seated. Take out your Bibles, please. First Samuel, chapter 27. First Samuel, chapter 27, we've been studying through, again, the life of David here as it's recorded for us. And we've seen a lot of ups and downs, haven't we? <laughs> a lot of high points and a lot of low points. We've seen that just magnified even in a great way over the last few weeks. Some great triumphs in David's life, some, some low points in David's life. I, uh, I'm challenged as, as we see each one of these things, how, again, uh, David is in such great humility when there is, there is a triumph. He continually gives glory to God in it. But I heard it once said, I think it was Jack Nicholas who said, uh, speaking about golf, for those of you golfers, that it's, it's not just how good you hit your good shots. It's how good you hit your bad shots. <laughs> and so often we can, we, can, we can focus on the humility portion of it and, and that type of thing when God is blessing us and giving him glory, and, and we should never lose sight of that fact. But we're going to see as we continue our study tonight, it's in those low times too, it's in those difficulties that we can never, we can never miss a step in those because it so easily can spiral out of control. We, we left off last time, we talked about the, the low point with, with, with Nabal, but then again how he had a a great triumph when he had an opportunity again to take Saul's life, and he didn't. And we, we saw again at the end of that how, how Saul said in what would appear an act of repentance, but it wasn't. It was simply a, a, an acknowledgement of David being a man of God, and, and David walking away from that again. As we finished up chapter 26, I think it's interesting that right on the heels of that, as we begin our study tonight in chapter 27, look what it says in verse 1. Then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand escape. 
David gets to a point where he feels that he needs to escape from this. And I, I wonder, because it says then, so we know that this is right on the heels of what we saw last week. So as we look at verse, verse 1 here in chapter 27, look back to what David said in verse 10 of our previous chapter. David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him or his day will come that he dies or he will go down in battle and perish. Surely the Lord is going to take care of this. Verse 1, I will perish one day at the hand of Saul. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? <laughs> one day things are going great. Man, I totally trust in God. And then the next day, oh, you know, again, just crash. I need to escape. And we can't. We can't help but, but empathize with David going through this. This wasn't a week-long thing. This wasn't a year-long thing. As we've mentioned, this will go on for 10 years, and we're towards the end of that, and we no doubt can hear in David's voice that, that he's tired of the load that he has to carry. And quite frankly, he's tired of God's will in his life. We can, we can hear that in that, and, and I say that because for those of you who are are in a trial. For those of you who are active in ministry, those of you who are, who are seeking after God and, and working hard for him and you, and you keep running into difficulties and trials, we can grow weary in our flesh. We can grow weary of doing good. We can grow weary in this idea of, of God's will in our lives and just want out. And that's what he says. He says, I just, I want to escape. I want to, I want to just get, get, get away from it. And escape there's another option as a matter of fact the option that we are called to do if you'd like to turn there as james tells us and many of you probably know the verse by memory but james chapter one he tells us the other option james chapter one verse two consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance that's the other option not escaping, but enduring. And it tells us that the testing of our faith produces that endurance. God has an end in everything that he brings our way. It's not to make us suffer, to make us stronger. That it produces endurance. And he goes on, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If we lack what we need, James tells us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to ask the Lord. Notice back in our verse here, so David said to himself. <laughs> he, he had a little powwow, the, the, the me, myself, and I. The three of us got together and we decided that the best course of action is to escape. Didn't bring God into the equation. I think it's interesting because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, no temptation or trial or test has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, with the trial, with the test, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able 
to endure it. He's the one who, as we go to him and we seek him, he provides the way through. It's not going to be the way that David sought. It's not going to be the way that we would in our flesh. It tells us, James tells us in chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. We're going to see that that is far from what happens to David. As a matter of fact, he becomes a hypocrite as he goes through this chapter. The wisdom from above is first pure, but he did not seek the wisdom from above. He sought the wisdom from his flesh. And it said that I will escape from this. And you can hear, again, the, what, he's, what he's going through, what he, is, what he is battling with. You know, an interesting thing I found out as I'm studying this, that there are no recorded psalms from David during this time period. Interesting. No psalms. We've talked of the difficulties he's gone through before and the beautiful psalms that came through that as he sought the Lord in the midst of the difficulty. But he doesn't hear. You think he came up with any other songs during that time? Probably. Probably wrote some great country western hits during this time. <laughs> There's a tear in my... I, you know, and just wallowing in self-pity. Instead of seeking the Lord and finding the endurance that is needed... And I will escape to the land of the Philistines. I'm going to go into the. I'm going to go to the enemy. Remember what happened the last time he did that? He ended up realizing the, diff, the 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 mess that he got himself into. So he acted like a crazy man, drooling all over himself and scratching on the walls. We're going to try that again. Verse two. So David arose and crossed over, and he and the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. One huge difference this time is David didn't go alone. This time, his decision to go into the world drew 600 people with their wives and children along with him. Sometimes our decisions affect far more than just ourselves. And here, we're going to see it does. Verse 3, and David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each of his, each of his household, even David and his two wives, Ananoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it, was told, so now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. So we see here that Saul's heart wasn't changed in the last chapter like he said it was. He was still pursuing David, but now he heard he's gone to Gath, he's gone into the land of the Philistines, and he's no longer going to search for him. He's no longer going to go after David. And we see in here that David could say, oh, good, it worked. And sometimes we can be fooled when we follow our flesh, when we go after the things that may seem to make sense to the rest of the world without consulting God, going even against the direct word of God because we see fruit in it. We see benefit from it. We could say, oh, God must be blessing this. David probably thinking that same thing. Saul's not here, so God must be behind that. And we've talked of that before, the danger in thinking that. We see that illustrated in Jonah. The ship is sailing, everything must be good, must be, must be fine. Nope. <laughs> Going against God's, God's will. The enemy will make sure, by the way, that it appears that it's working so that we continue down that path. And David, David does. And notice what it says in verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, 
if I have found favor in your sight. He's seeking the favor of the king of the enemy. James again tells us in James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James, if you've never read through James, I encourage you to. He doesn't sugarcoat it at all, does he? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't walk both sides. He goes on to say, verse 5, Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't go down that path. And so many people do, don't they? Probably if we ask for a show of hands, we could say we've all tried that. We've all done that path. And if you're a young person here tonight and you're contemplating that idea that you can somehow walk both sides of the fence and you're saying that statement that I'm going to make my own mistakes. That's one of the things I hate when my kids say. I'm going to make my own mistakes. That just doesn't even make any sense. But if you're going to make your own mistakes, make your own mistakes. This mistake's already been made. It won't be yours. <laughs> You can't do it. Don't think, don't fool yourself into thinking, I'll be the one to be able to walk both sides of the fence. I'll be able to be that one that can be in the world and still have a right relationship with God. It doesn't work. No doubt, David probably thought it would be just a short time. We're going to see it turns out to be 16 months. One year and four months. We saw that played out back in Ruth, if you were in our study. We saw that the Elimelech and his wife Naomi, their two sons and their two wives, the one wife was Ruth, and they decided because there was a famine in the land that they were going to go into the land of Moab. They left Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem in Judah, which means praise. And they're going to go to Moab, which means wash pot <laughs> or toilet bowl. <laughs> we're going we're to run away because times are tough. We're going to leave the house of bread, we know that the living word is our bread. We're going to leave the house of praise, and we're, gonna just, we're just going to spend a little time in the world until, until things cool off a little bit. We find out that it was 10 years that they were there. And Naomi and the two daughters-in-law are the only two that come out. The math of the world, as I've written this down before, the math in the world it adds to your sorrow and it subtracts from your joy. It multiplies your troubles and it divides your loyalty. Can't do it. And David finds that out. Again, it, what, a, what a statement. If now I have found favor in your sight, king of the Philistines, instead of seeking favor in the Lord's sight, if I have, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you, your servant. Again, those words should <laughs> strike fear in our hearts, how quickly David fell into this. And again, this is David we're talking about. This isn't Saul. This is David. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. 
The number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistine was one year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the the Geshurites and the Gerizites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to shore even as far as the land of Egypt. These were the ones that were still occupying the land that the children of Israel didn't drive out as they were supposed to. They're still occupying the land. And so David now goes in, verse 9, it says, David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive. And he took away the sheep and the cattle and the donkeys and the camels and the clothing. And then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, Where have you made a raid today? And David said, Against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jeremiahites. And against the Negev of the Kenites. He's telling them that he's out raiding the Israelites. He's out plundering his own people because now he's one of their people. David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they will tell about us, saying, so David has done so and so and has been this practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. He killed everybody so that nobody could go and tell the truth. He's lying to the king of Gath so that he's not covered up. And again, just see where this leads to the hypocrisy. He's wearing a different mask in front of the world. Than he, than he is actually outdoing. And, and, and he's trying to paint a different picture so that he can fit into the world. And what a, what a tragedy. He's fighting the enemies of Israel, so probably justifying that in his own mind, that this, we're actually, I'm actually doing the Lord's work. I'm wiping out, wiping out the enemies of Israel. Justifying his, his sin of rebellion by saying, at least I'm not doing even worse. And so often, again, that can be our heart, when we go down that road, we can justify the fact that we're, we're, not, we're not going way off the edge. We're just straying a little. Continuing to try to please the world as he is here. Covering the evidence of his sin. And that never works. Verse 12, so Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious among his people Israel, therefore he will become my servant forever. So Achish is buying it, and David is thinking that everything is going along great, but as we see in chapter 28, now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go up with me in the camp, you and your men. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now the Philistines are going to go to war with the Israelites, and Achish comes and says, well, now that you're on my team, you're going to go to war with us. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Don't know what he meant by that. I don't know if he knew what he meant by that. He's probably just scrambling now. What are we going to do? So Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Amazing transition and the first two verses of chapter 28 really kind of fit in better with chapter 27 because we're going to see now in chapter 28 the the story shifts again to Saul it says in verse 3 now Samuel was dead we saw that a couple chapters ago that Samuel died and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah in his own city and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists this verse placed here the author setting this up because both of those things come into play. Samuel is dead. 
and the Philistines feared Samuel. They, they, they knew that Samuel was a godly man. And back in chapter 7, it tells us in verse 7, this is before Saul came, when Samuel was still ruling, before Saul was named king. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. The sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up a burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Remember, if we were with us during that time, all Samuel did was pray and offer sacrifice while the Philistines are closing in, and then God answered it with a thunder, and they turned on themselves, and the Israelites routed them. The Philistines feared Samuel because they knew the power of his God. They don't fear Saul. And now they've heard that Samuel is dead. They're bringing their troops together, and they're going to come against the Philistines, or come against the Israelites. So, verse 4, four, verse four so the Philistines gathered together and came and camped at Shuman, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Saul sees this army coming, and a totally different reaction than Samuel had. Samuel's heart didn't tremble greatly. Samuel said, God's on our side, sought the Lord. Saul, is trem his heart is trembling greatly. It tells us in Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Saul, again, far from righteous. Tells us that he was afraid. He trembled greatly. Verse 6, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. The Lord did not answer tells us in Psalms, David writes in Psalm 66, I cried out to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. David's praising the Lord. He's calling out to the Lord and praising him. He said though, if I regard wickedness, iniquity, if I regard sin, in my heart the Lord will not hear. Not that he cannot hear. He says that he will not hear. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy or deaf that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And again, it's not that he can't audibly hear it. What it's saying is that he will not respond. He will not respond to our prayers. He will not have that fellowship with us if we regard sin and iniquity in our lives. Saul's wondering, why in the world isn't God answering me? It's because he regarded sin in his life. And those are those times, too, that we need to say. We've talked of it before. Remember, we were talking about it with David, that he was, had that time of, of quiet, and he wasn't hearing. But it wasn't because of sin in his life then. It was because the Lord was drawing him closer to himself. But we need to continually examine ourselves, as the Bible tells us, to make sure that there isn't something in our lives that is standing between us and the Lord. Because it says that he will not answer it. And it's not, it's not 
for any other reason other than if we if he continued to answer our prayer continued to bless us in our sin that we would continue on doing it so that quietness should be a warning sign to us and again go before the lord and to and to seek him and when he reveals those things to us to to truly biblically repent problem is again as we've seen over and over in saul's life he never truly repented he was sorry from time to time, sorry that he got caught, sorry that things weren't working out the way he was, but he was never sorry, broken, repentant over his sin. And instead of humble repentance in this process, look at what it says in verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, seek for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. We just saw in the previous couple of verses where it told us in verse 3, Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists, no doubt, because Samuel probably told him that that's what needed to be done, and he did that. And the, the Bible is clear. God laid it out in the law very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in, win in witchcraft. As a matter of fact, he said... You shall not permit a sorceress to live. This was grievous to the Lord, and he said it absolutely cannot take place. Spiritists, witchcraft, nothing at all to play around with. Dark, dark magic and dark things here. And Saul had them removed. Saul was doing what he was supposed to in that. But again, instead of repenting, he goes to the world. He goes out and tries to seek it in other places even going to this end then saul verse 8 disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went he and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said conjure up for me please and bring up for me whom i shall name to you but the woman said to him, Behold, you know that Saul, what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Here is a picture of hypocrisy. Saul disguised himself. <laughs> Saul, in, the, in his time of, of need, instead of again going to the Lord, he goes to the world, he puts on a mask, he completely disguises himself. And you wonder, I do anyway, how that happened remember he stands head and shoulders above everybody else i mean there, there's i can disguise myself but it doesn't work very well I, I i can put on a wig i can do a whole lot of things but people pick me out pretty easily because i stand a little taller than most and so saul i wonder how that all worked and can't quite tell maybe she's seeing right through this and she states the truth saul's run it out if this is found out i'll get killed Notice what he says in verse 10. Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Wow. Who says? <laughs> Saul became God, I guess. You know, he, he's the one who says, you know, you can do this. Don't worry about the consequences. There won't be any consequences. Isn't that interesting how those that backslide recruit? Those that backslide evangelize their backsliddenness, if that's a word. You, don't worry. You're not going to get This is fine. No problem. Pulling someone else, not that she's innocent in this thing, but pulling somebody else right into it. 
and, and making a promise by the Lord, saying, nothing's going to happen to you. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what, what, what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground, and he did homage. Now this section right here, there's a lot of controversy about it. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of disagreement. Is this really Samuel, or is this an evil spirit? Is this truly a, a response, and here is Samuel, who we've, we know is dead, coming back and being able to be seen? And there's a lot of disagreement about that. To me, it's pretty clear that this is Samuel. How do we, I, the first clue to me is it freaked her out. <laughs> She's used to dealing with probably some demonic spirits, no doubt. No doubt doing some things that in, in trickery and sorcery and, and all of those kinds of things, dabbling in, in, in all of that. No doubt has seen a lot of crazy stuff. But now she sees Samuel and it freaks her out. She, she's totally taken aback. Now, some people point to the fact that saying that he came up from the ground, or he came up from beneath, but that's answered for us. Jesus speaks of that when he's, when he's speaking of the rich man and Lazarus. This is before Jesus came and set captivity captive. Before Jesus died and rose again, the, the, there was a great chasm fixed between those that died that weren't of the Lord, that will eventually go to hell, and those that died trusting in the future coming of the Messiah that are in what's called Abraham's bosom or paradise. We see, Jesus speaks of that place very plainly, and it's not a parable. He, he speaks of that. So that, that answers that to me. The other one says that he's an old man coming up. I thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I hope you're hoping that, you know, that, that we're not in the same state that when we died in. You know, Samuel's still an old man here. Well, he hasn't received his glorified body yet. And again, this is all pre pre-Jesus coming and dying and taking captivity captive up to heaven. We saw, even when just a couple of weeks ago on the weekend, when Jesus was there and he was there with Moses and Elijah, and they recognized Moses and Elijah in that. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but to me it's, it seems pretty clear. And Samuel, verse 6, 15 says, Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? You better have a really good reason. I'm down there in paradise, and you're bringing me up, you're bringing me back to this? Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you will make known to me what I should do. Notice first that Saul is not distressed over his sin. He's distressed over the results of his sin. He's, he's not worried about the cause. He's worried about the effect. And that is, again, the difference between true repentance and just being sorry. He's sorry that God's not answering him, but he's not broken over his sin and repenting. But notice also he says, I've called you that you may make known to me what I should do. 
I, I find that interesting because it happens, it happens a lot. People come to me, and, and I'm not saying don't, but people come to me often and say, what should I do in this situation? And I'll tell you, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have your answers, but I know who does. And it's interesting because I've had people even come up to me and say, what should I do? I'm, I'm living with my boyfriend or I'm living with my girlfriend. What should I do? Why are you coming to me? You know what you should do or you wouldn't be coming to me, right? <laughs> I mean, it, what are you trying to, uh, you want me to reinterpret the Bible for you? You know what you're doing. That's why you're coming to a pastor. You know what you're supposed to do. And the, 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 the thing that I see again in here is he's like he wants a different answer. He wants something other than what he knows he needs to do. He needs to repent. He needs to turn from his sin. But somehow he's thinking that if he could just call up Samuel, Samuel could pray to God and get an answer for him and he could continue on with what he's doing. Won't listen to the Lord. You're, you're not going to listen to me either. You won't listen to the Lord. You're not going to listen to Samuel either. But Samuel says, why then do you ask me? And in the, in the course of what he's going to say in the next few verses, I love this because, again, it it's, needs to be our response when people come to us. Seven times he's going to say, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. As he says, why then do you come to me since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? probably ought to talk to him. The Lord has done according as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on, on Amalek, so the Lord has done this to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Certainly not the answer I'm sure he was hoping for. And Samuel tells him, tomorrow you're going to be with me. Tomorrow you and your sons are going to die in battle. Then Samuel, I'm sorry, then Saul, verse 20, immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified. And she said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life into my hands and have listened to your, to your words which you have spoken to me. So now also, please listen to the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the, women, with the woman urged him, and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it and took flour, kneaded it, baked unleavened bread for it. She brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Again, we see <laughs> the, the tragedy of Saul's life and how it is going to meet its end. We won't get there tonight, next week probably, as we continue and finish out 1 Samuel. But one thing I want to, I guess, touch on real quickly before we get to chapter 29, this idea of witchcraft, 
and spirits and that it's obviously it's a huge thing in the world that we live in today and probably even heard you know white witches or or white rich witchcraft there, there's no such thing anything that is dealing with the occult with witchcraft is demonic all of it and it needs I'll, horoscopes stop it if you read your horoscopes every day stop it that's spoken out against in the word too, astrology. Don't be looking to those types of things. Don't psychic hotlines, all of those types of stuff. People think it's harmless, that it's, that it's oh, it's just, it's just fun. It's the crack in the door that the enemy wants. I wrote a poem a few years ago, and I dug it out for this because it kind of speaks to this very thing. It's late at night, who could be knocking? Is it evil? Is it the enemy that is out there stalking? I asked who's there, praying they leave in a hurry. My name's indiscretion, you don't need to worry. Should I pick up a weapon or sound an alarm? He said he was harmless and meant me no harm. I will look out the window, just take a peek. That's not so bad, not a sign that I'm weak. I'll just take a look, though I know it's not right. He looks pretty harmless, like an angel of light. I opened the door, it's just one little sin, but before I knew it, all hell came in. That's what happens when we open the door in these areas. And again, we might think it's harmless, just checking the horoscopes, just doing those types of things. God says it's wrong, it's sin, we need to run from that. Well, chapter 29 now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding out by the hundreds and by the thousands, and David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? I can only imagine David's men probably saying the same thing. <laughs> what are we doing here? We are literally going out to fight a war against our own people. And again, we see God's hand. Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me all of these days, rather these years? And have I not found, I have found no fault in him from the day he des deserted to me on this day? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him. And do not let him go down to battle with us, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sing in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Going back again to when David defeated Goliath, the song, top 10, crossed the country. Everybody's singing it. Everybody knows it. David probably hasn't heard it in a while. And I wonder what went through his mind and through his heart when he heard that. And again, what in the world am I doing here? Then Achish called David and said to him, as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me in, this, in, the arm, in, in the army, are pleasing in my sight. 
For I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now therefore, return and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish replied to David, I know that you are pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he must not go up with us to the battle. Now then arise in the early morning with the servants of your Lord with whom you have come, who have come with you. And as soon as you have risen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David arose early, he and his men, to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Can the hand of God on David's life? And when I, when I look at that, just a couple of closing thoughts in this. Again, we know that David is a man after God's own heart. God knew David's heart, and he knows our hearts. If we are truly his, even when we stumble, and this is not a license to go out and stumble, <laughs> but even when we do, he has us. We'll never fall, we might fall down in his hand, but we'll never fall out of his hand. And here we see in David, a man after God's own heart, a man who truly loves the Lord, despairing, weary, but God continued to protect him, to guard him, to keep him from going into this battle, stirring in the hearts even of his enemies, even when David, totally confused as we read through this, probably wondering what is going on, and we're going to see though in the next chapter that, God, that he comes back and does what he should have done at first in seeking the Lord. But then we contrast that with Saul, a man who had hardened his heart to the Lord and continually hardened his heart against the Lord and will see his tragic end. So if you are here tonight and you have, and Jesus is Lord of your life, you've surrendered your life to him, you've trusted in him, but you have strayed away. He's protected you. He has kept his, kept his arm around you, but he wants you to come back. He wants you to repent and to return to him so that you can have that right relationship again, so that you can have your prayers heard and responded to. If you're having quiet, the Lord is just not hearing, you're not, not responding, go to him and say, Lord, is there anything in me that needs to be dealt with? And deal with it. I know that this is kind of a stretch, but when I'm reading verse 19, it says, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Just one last thought on that. Saul was told that he had one day to live. And again, didn't respond. Didn't fall down and repent. He, he's, again, kind of wallowing in self-pity in that moment. What would you do if you knew tomorrow was your last day? Would you live it differently? Would you, would you, knowing that tomorrow you'd take your last breath, would you live it differently than you are planning on living it tomorrow? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to work tomorrow. <laughs> That's not, you're not getting a pastor's note so you can skip work. <laughs> but would you act differently at work tomorrow if you knew that tomorrow was your last day? Would you witness to that person that you have been 
I know I should talk to them, but would you, would you talk to them if you knew that tomorrow was your last day? I'm not telling you who aren't working tomorrow, planning on playing golf. I'm not telling you don't play golf tomorrow. <laughs> but you, would you react differently when you're forced to come back? Maybe again against uh, amidst non-believers in your group. We need to live as though every day is our last day because we don't know if it is or not. We, we, we never know when that time might happen, when we draw our last breath or the Lord comes. What do you want to be doing when the Lord, when you hear the trumpet blast? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. And, and these couple of chapters, very, very difficult to read through, especially for our, for our hero in the story, David, to see the depths to which he fell. But Lord, we know that each one of us are capable of that in our flesh. We can become weary. Lord, my prayer for tonight is for anyone who is in that place right now, questioning their calling, tired of the battles they're facing. Lord, that you would encourage them. And if that is you here tonight, do not go the way of the world. Pray. Pray, rejoice, as it tells us, in these trials. Because we know that as the Lord brings them to us, it produces endurance in us. And let, we, let endurance have its perfect work. Lord, that's our desire. That all that you would bring our way would have its perfect work in us. That we would be perfectly equipped to handle what you bring to us and the opportunities that are laid before us. Lord, we stand firmly on your word because you promise that no trial, no temptation, no difficulty will ever be brought to us that you haven't screened ahead of time and made sure that it will not overtake us if we stand firmly in you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your hand of protection around us. Lord, as we sang again, we thank you for your amazing grace that you pour out upon us. Lord, it's our desire to walk in a manner worthy of that grace. So have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys.